scripture reading is from Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 7. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he, rewar he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge that you're here. We welcome your presence. We ask that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word. We pray that you would anoint Pastor Tommy as he delivers it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to heaven. We are continuing our series after kind of taking a break throughout the holiday season. And as we go back to the, to the series, I want to remind you that at the core of the conversation we're having in the book of Hebrews is about a reflection on the old covenant and the superiority of the new covenant in how Jesus Christ became the fulfillment of everything the old, old covenant, the Old Testament was pointing to. And in so doing, he became superior to it, that our new covenant we have is superior to the old covenant, the old relationship that the Jewish people, the chosen people of God, had with God. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, have a superior covenant with him. And at the heart of that superiority, uh, as we've been talking about throughout the entire series, is the ability to have an intimacy with God that is extraordinarily unique, that we are able to draw near to God because of the superior work of Jesus Christ in every single way. Now, this morning's text continues that reflection and reveals to us the foundation of the faith that we have. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Every time I read that verse, one of the things I think that is really great about this verse is that it's ambiguous enough when taken on its own to mean whatever anybody wants it to mean. Um, it seems so authoritative and, and so complete, and you can say it with such confidence. Someone asks you, what is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Ooh. That's deep. But what does it mean? I, I find that most Christians who quote that over and over again and somehow anchor themselves in this, in this passage 
can't really explain to me exactly what it means. Everyone ultimately ends up turning this into kind of this empty jar faith, meaning you can imagine whatever you want is in that jar, and then somehow that becomes reality. That becomes what it really is. Assurance of things hoped for. That sounds great. I really, really hope I get a red Italian sports car. The conviction of things not seen. Listen, just because I don't see it in front of me doesn't mean it's not going to happen. That kind of faith. You see how this becomes very easily kind of this pie-in-the-sky wantism? How it becomes this thingism that if I just believe in that thing enough, if I just imagine that thing and, and hope for it and have conviction that it will happen, then I get to see it. If you just ask, if you just believe, you will receive exactly what it is you're imagining. Here's the reality of that, guys. That is not the faith that the author of Hebrews is teaching. That's the faith that Oprah Winfrey teaches. The reason that this goes south quickly is because we're not seeing that phrase, that definition of faith, in, in the proper context. You've got to have this discussion on faith with, with, with a full conversation. So what we've got to do is one of the things that so many of us Christians don't do. We've got to break the barrier of the previous chapter. You can't just pick it up right there. You've got to understand what, what is the lead-in. What are they trying to say to us? Start with the preceding verses found in, chapter, in the 10th chapter. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a little while, and, and, and the coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But you are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and pre preserve their souls." Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The lead-in is not, now here's how you get things. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. No, the lead-in is how do we persevere? How are we preserved in the life that we have to the return of Jesus Christ? In the midst of struggles, how do we persevere? When we are in the midst of temptation, how do we persevere? In the midst of persecution. It's not about imagining what you want and believing it will come true. It is about perseverance in staying true to God. Staying faithful to Jesus Christ. So, how does this kind of faith provide the assurance of perseverance? It's really about understanding what biblical faith is and what biblical faith is not about. Biblical faith is not about faith for something. Oh, I imagine that and I hope I get it. And I'm just going to hang on to that. It is about faith in someone. That someone being our Heavenly Father. It's not about convincing yourself, lacking doubt that something will come to pass, or simply applying positive thinking 
that will produce the perseverance that this faith is connected to. It is setting your faith in God. Charles Pfeiffer explains it like this. There may, be some, there may be real value in such positive thinking, but this is not the meaning of faith. True biblical faith has God as its object. We believe God and we trust his word. That word does not tell us that we have any reason to expect to be the richest merchant on Main Street. It tells us, in the contrary, that we will have tribulations and that as Jesus' disciples, we will have crosses to bear. It assures us, however, of grace to bear them out. Now, how do I know that the source of perseverance in the midst of turmoil is faith in God and not just simply positive thinking? Well, first of all, the author of Hebrews gives this incredibly subtle hint that that his audience of, of Jewish believers would understand that we can easily miss in our modern understanding of the text. He writes, now, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. He makes here the, the, the reference to the conviction of things not seen. And then he talks about the, the universe not being made by things that are visible. The Jews would make, would understand this because they would continually make a reference describing God as the invisible God or the unseen God. They did this to, to establish a distinction between Yahweh and the idols of the pagan nations around them that they would have these idols that were carved and then they could go and they could see it and then they could worship it. But, but, they had, but the Jews had no such images because they were forbidden. And so what they did is they always referred to God as unseen or invisible. And so as the author of Hebrews is writing here, he alludes the conviction of things not seen and, and makes reference to the creation being made by, made by the invisible. So for, the, for those who were listening, it would be clearly pointing them to God. That that is where your faith lies. As I read this, by the way, I think this provides a helpful uh, illustration of, for what biblical faith is and what bi biblical faith is not. He's pointing here in, in a means to creation as, as uh, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, what he's saying is creation tells us about the invisible. Too many people believe that faith is unfounded, that Christian faith is just blind, wistful hope. And the truth is it's not. My faith is rooted in evidence. I believe there's evidence of God being who the Bible says he is. In this passage, it points to me one of the most convincing uh, evidences of a creator, creation. When I look at a book, I'm convinced there's a publisher. When I, when I look at a painting, I, I'm convinced there's a painter. When I look at a poem, I'm convinced there's a poet. And when I look at creation, I'm convinced 
there's a creator. I think it defies logic to believe that the complexity, the intricacy, the fragility of our creation happened by accident. I've heard many, many of the arguments, but the more I become educated as it relates to theory of random evolution, the more I'm convinced of the evidence of God. Now, that for me is just one of the many evidences that leads me to faith in God. But the point is, don't believe that your Christian faith is rooted in just nothingness. Just because I don't see the invisible God doesn't mean the invisible God doesn't exist and that he hasn't already given me a signpost to find him. Creation tells us that the visible came out of the invisible. So again, when the author of Hebrews alludes to the conviction of things not seen and refers to a creation be made by the invisible, it would seem very clearly that he's pointing to the image of God. But even more directly, if you continue to read in, in, in the writings of the author of Hebrews, even more directly in verse 6, it establishes what faith is that allows us to persevere. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. So what is faith? For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, now I want you to understand that the, the context here. It says, it says, without faith it is impossible to please God, right? And what does he say? What does he say pleases? What he follows up with? It's impossible to please God because you can't what? Draw near to God. Right? So he's saying drawing near to God is this pleasing towards God. This is what, this is what pleases God when we draw near to him. This is kind of the, the heart of our entire conversation. That's why the, the series is entitled Draw Near. And so what does he say is the means by which you draw near? That you believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Here in 6, we see the direct expression of faith being encouraged. Not a faith in something, but in someone. The invisible God created the universe and will fulfill his promises. This is the author of Hebrews who was talking to church about how faith becomes the means of perseverance in the midst of struggles. It doesn't just say have faith, but he proceeds to provide examples how that faith becomes the basis of their perseverance. As we've been talking, this whole thing is about what is it that I can do to please God, live by faith. And what does faith look like? Faith looks like believing in God and his word and his promises to us. And the author of Hebrews begins to unfold this for us in the lives of heroes of the faith. Those that the, that the that Jewish audience would know so deeply. And he reveals to us how that faith causes our perseverance. And he reveals it first in the story of Cain and Abel. The first truth about our faith that anchors us and allows us to persevere is how faith in God testifies to God's supremacy. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now let's quickly review the story of Cain and Abel. You know the story of Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's two sons. 
And each one of them, in their own way, offered up a sacrifice to, to God. Abel came and brought the, 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 the sheep of his field and, and would shed its blood and offer that sacrifice to God. And Cain came and he brought, he brought fruits and vegetables as a sacrifice to God. God received the offering of Abel and rejected the offering of Cain. Now, why is that? What is the ultimate reason behind that? The only reason behind it is because God had established a way in which man would show his love, would show, would, would show his sacrifice for God, his, his care for God, his, his understanding of God, and it was through the shedding of blood. From the beginning, that would foreshadow Jesus Christ. Cain, on the other hand, took the cheaper way, took the way in which it didn't cost him as much, and it wasn't exactly the way God wanted it, so he did his own thing. Much like a lot of us do. We don't take this prescription of God. We don't, we don't always walk in the way that God leads and guides. And so we do our own thing. And the truth is, we expect God to bless us doing it our way and not his way. And God didn't. And so Cain was angry about this. And Cain shed the blood of Abel. And yet, in this, the outcome of it all, the outcome of it all for For Abel, his faith, his willingness to do what God said, his following God by faith, the outcome of it all was what? His death. Now, most of us would look at our lives and we would say, listen, if faith in Jesus Christ, if my faith in God leads to death, forget about it. But Abel Abel said, whatever God asks of me, I will give him regardless of what the cost might be. See, this is why the author of Hebrews is making the declaration. He says, he still speaks to us today. Because what he speaks of us about is, is, is the idea that he, this was an exercise in faith that cost him his life. According to the author, the message of that is that those who show their faith live their faith in God raising it above everything else, declare the greatness of God. This is a faith in God in contrast to a faith in things. When we focus our faith on things, does it really teach the supremacy of God or does it teach the supremacy of things? When we get from God the things we want and when we get from God the things we want and we rejoice in God and when we don't get from God the things we want, and we curse God, what is it that is actually supreme in our lives? The things, right? But Hebrews is saying, listen, when we put our faith in God and we say, listen, it's not about what I receive. It's not about what I get from you. It's about you. It's about me believing in you and your promises, your promises that you will always give me good things as my good father, that you will always be with me no matter what, that you will walk with me and that, and, and that I am yours and that the things I get or the things I don't get do not define whether or not you are still great and whether or not you are still good. Abel testifies because his faithfulness to God wasn't about what he received from God, but about how much greater God was than anything else. Guys, there is no testimony greater 
than the testimony of a believer who have set their whole faith in God through the good times, through the struggles, through health and sickness, poverty and prosperity, life and death. This testifies to a faith that says, I believe in God and the promises he's made to me as his child. Faith in who God is and his promises over the promises of this world will always testify to his supremacy. The truth is this, nothing in the world, nothing in the world compares to the promises of God. And when you begin to believe that it does, that's where your faith begins to die, and that's where your intimacy with God begins to fade away. The second revelation of faith in this passage is faith in God is what allows us to draw near to God. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, I want you to hear this again again, as it relates to your, your own personal walk. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. This is kind of what our entire series has been about. We've been focusing on the idea that, that the death of Jesus Christ, the shedding of his blood, opened the gateway, tore the veil to allow us to enter into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, to draw near to God. And so everything we've been talking about really rests on this reality. You cannot please God and therefore draw near to God if you don't believe in God and his promises. A lot of times when we read this passage, we fixate on the phrase, without faith it is impossible to please God. And we kind of float it out there with no real meaning or or with whatever meaning we want to attribute to it. But if you anchor it in the passage, you see that it directly relates to the intimacy we have in him. How do we please God? By drawing near to him. When you look at this, it really is profound because what it leads us to is that the faith that, that, that the faith that he calls us to that lets us draw near is a faith that, that, that believes that he exists and rewards those who seek him, that he is who he says he is and does what he says he'll do. The question you have to ask yourself as you reflect on this passage is, how intimate are you with God? How, how, much, how often do you feel as though you're distant from God or away from God? And then you need to begin to ask yourself questions about your theology of God. Do you think pleasing him is working for him? Do you think pleasing him is doing the right things and not doing the wrong things? He says you cannot please God because you can't draw near to him if you don't believe in him and that he rewards those as you are seeking him. It is believing in the God of the Bible and in the promises of his word 
Those promises relate directly to perseverance. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He loves you and gave himself for you. He heals you. He restores you. As we sit in our circumstances, we sit in our, search, our situations, too often we, 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 we disconnect ourselves from those promises of God. Because when he, says, he, when, he, when he tells us, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, we set our provision in other things. And when those things go away, we lose faith. Instead of saying, it doesn't matter what goes away because I know who my father is and I know that he supplies my needs and I will stand and not be destroyed by the lack of whatever. When we sit and we find ourselves in a place and we're, we're in, a, we're in a, a physical situation and we're, we're in sickness, the promise of God is, I will be your healer. may not be exactly the way you want. It may not be in the timetable you want. But you stand in the truth that says, I know that my God will heal me. Maybe here. Maybe now. Maybe a week from now. Maybe a year from now. Maybe when I get to heaven. It is standing in the, in, in the faith and the belief that what God promises is true. That's how you persevere. Do you see how it's so easy for Christians to fade away? When they let go of the anchor of the promises of God, when they stop believing the truth of God and begin being sucked into the promises of this world, may we seek him. People of Mercy Hill, let's have a faith in who he is and a faith in the fact that he will reward those who seek him. And having, do that, having done that, then we will be able to draw near. For many of you, the reason why you're not intimate with the Father is because you're not hanging on to those truths and putting your faith in who God is and the promises that he has for you. The third revelation of faith we find in our text is that faith in God strengthens us to stand out in the midst of the world, and in that way, we will secure our salvation. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. How many of you know the Noah story? It's a heck of a story, right? You, you, you consider the, entire, the entirety of what Noah, what Noah did. If, if, you, if, if, you were to, if you were to sit down and go, listen, I'm going to go through all the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and, and I'm going to pick out the story that, that, of somebody who exhibited the most faith. Noah has got to be at the top or very, very, very near the top. Consider what God asked of him. All right? In the middle of a desert where they'd seen no rain forever. God breaks in and says, Noah, I want you to build the biggest boat you've ever seen. Massive boat in your backyard. Okay? I want you to spend years building a boat away from water 
and in a place where we haven't seen rain for who knows how long. And what I want you to know is, after a while, I'm going to give this deluge of water is going to come down, and I'm going to save your family. Now, how many of you, God tells you that, goes, all right, going to go in my backyard and build a boat. Most of us are going to go, it must be the pizza I ate last night. It's got to be something else that is absolutely not God. So Noah builds the boat. And, and, and what is the response of the world around him? See, we're sitting here right now. I, 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 begin to play out, I begin to lay out the story of exactly what took place. And you begin to put yourself in Noah's position. And even us in this room begin to laugh. Right? And we're on Team Noah. Like, we're all for Noah. We're, we're believers. We're like, what a great guy Noah was. How much faith he had. What a great guy. And when you tell him, and you start thinking about what he did, you go, that's nuts. And we laugh. The people around him were like not only laughing at him, but they're like, this guy's certifiable. Like, if, 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 we, if we had a, a nut house, we'd put him in it. Right? But yet Noah was faithful to that. The passage that I just read focuses on is Noah's relationship to the world. It draws us into Noah's conflict with the mindset of the world. How they mocked him because they thought his way was foolish and even stupid. How they rejected his warnings. How they rejected him. But through it all, his faith in God. His faith in God and what God said. What he warned him about. What he promised would be his means of salvation. He believed it to be true. And as a result, he stood, he persevered, and he was saved. He believed in God and his promises. This directly relates to the introduction we read in, in chapter 10, verse 39. And it directly relates to the reality we find ourselves in as we walk as strangers in this world. We will quite often be mocked. They will think we're crazy. They will think that we're nuts and that we don't really understand. The world thinks they have a way. And I am telling you that what the Word of God says is true. There is a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof is destruction. I am convinced more and more, and more, and more, and more. With every story I hear, every study I read, every time I look at the world around us, the path of the world is hopeless and foolish. And the way of God, his word, Christ's gospel, is so superior and so better. And I don't care what topic you want to bring it to. The word of God tells me, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The world tells you, listen, man, it's not a big deal. Just do whatever you want. Drink whatever you want. Smoke whatever you want. Do whatever you want. It's not a big deal. Is that true? Is that true? Do you know how many, do you know how many marriages are broken because you're out getting drunk instead of being full of the Spirit? Do you know how many families are crushed because you're out getting drunk instead of full of the Spirit? 
Do, do you know how many people are raped? Do you know how many accidents happen? Do you know how many people die because you're out getting drunk instead of being full of the Holy Spirit? Are you telling me the way of God is not better than the way of the world? But they'll mock you when you refrain. They'll mock you when you decide, I have restrictions on my life. I contain and I live in accordance with the word of God. Oh, come on, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? The word of God tells me that it is important for me to have fidelity in my sexuality, to save myself for my spouse, my future spouse at some point, to make sure it's just her and I. Jesus Christ himself, have you not heard that God created him man and woman? And it's for this reason a man will leave his mother and father and he shall cling to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. What God has brought together, let no man tear asunder. I have never, ever, 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 ever in my entire life seen a couple who made the decision to, to, to save themselves for their husband and their wife to make a commitment for life that was willing to live out Jesus Christ in accordance with his word, one with another. I've never seen a marriage like that go bad. But I have seen marriages, and I have seen people, and I have seen circumstances over and over and over and over again that have chosen to make sexuality a casual thing to engage in. Do you, do you know the death that comes, has come in our, into our world because of that? Do you know the disease that has come into our world as a result of that? Do you know that in America today, we spend more money treating sexually transmitted diseases than we do lung cancer? Billions upon billions upon billions upon billions of dollars. And all of the studies show that, that when, you, when you take sexuality and you take sexual activity as this casual thing, it creates less stability in marriage. And yet the world will laugh at me and laugh at you to say that there is a way that God has taught me to view my sexuality. And somehow they think their way is better. Now I could go on and on and on and on and on. I can talk about the idea of what it is to forgive people. The world tells me that, listen, people are toxic and you need to push them away and if they don't do this and they don't do that. You need to protect yourself. Don't be disrespected. And all I've ever seen from that is a bitterness of heart and a separation between people. But when the word of God teaches me to forgive as Christ forgave, to love my enemies, and to set it aside, there is a healing and a wholeness that takes place in our lives that the other pathway will never, ever, ever be able to provide. As I say, I could go on and on. We just need to understand that the, the way of destruction is in the path of the world. And we can't be deterred in that way. We, we are in no different place than Noah was with those around him. There is destruction coming. We can find our refuge in the ark of Christ and his word, or we can stand outside of it and wait for the deluge to come. He says who he is and is a rewarder of those who follow him. I think J.B. Stoney says it well. 
It is a great thing to learn faith, that it is simple dependence upon God. It will comfort you as much, it will comfort you much to be assured that the Lord is teaching you dependence upon Himself. And it is very remarkable that faith is necessary in everything. The just shall live by faith, not only in your circumstances, but in everything. Faith in God is what will sustain you. There's nothing else for the believer but that you believe that he is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. If you are struggling, the only question you ask yourself is, do I believe that God is who he says he is and he is a rewarder of those who seek him? And if you're struggling today with that reality and you say, I don't know that that's true, then our prayer is this. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief.